Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. And good morning to you all as well. My name is Dr. Beach. How are you, Dr. Beach? I'm very well. Excellent. I'm excited. I'm still on a high. (laughs) Like Shorty, I'm a Demons fan. I can hear it in your voice. You can hear it in my voice. Yeah. It's like you've (laughs) gone from 33 to 45 RPM. (laughs) I'm not wearing my bespoke Demons mask that um, Bron Burton kindly made me. Very, very beautiful. It does look good. Yeah. I've had all sorts of um, flattering comments. Oh, good. Mm Mm-hmm. My mask, not the rest of me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm very well. Excellent. Sunny day out there, looking lovely. It is. And go doggies, by the way, well done last night, but yeah. What a great grand final it's going to be. I know, I imagine if that were at the MCG. Damon's doggies, my goodness. I was. Grand um, final parade, the Venice correspondent and I were whimsically thinking about that last night. Maybe next year. Mm. Anyway. But, yeah, you'll have a lot of fun. We'll have a lot of fun. Hey, Tim Thorpe has a lot of fun. Thank Tim, you, Tim, yeah. very much for Vital Bits. Thank you, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. Mississippi Fred McDowell this morning. Right, I missed that. Well, see, here's the thing. You can go back. I, 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 on radio, radio On, on demand. demand. Radio On Demand. Exactly. Right. It was really good. Hey, um, thank you, Tim. And, yes, you can catch Tim next Saturday and Sunday mornings from 6 till 9. As usual, mm-hmm. hardest working man in radio. <laughs> yes, he is. Hey, today's show, look, thank you first up, everyone who has subscribed to Triple R. Radiothon is not over. It goes all the way through till Wednesday, the 6th of October at 5pm when officially it closes. But uh, if you want to subscribe, you can keep doing that, rrr.org.au. And, uh, you know, our, our little tradition here of giving you your very own unique marine creature name. Um, and we're going to continue. If you want to continue to subscribe, subscribe between 9 and 10. It doesn't have to be to Marinara. It could be to any show on the Triple R grid and we'll give you a fish name. So, yeah, just, just putting that one out there. But, uh, look, thanks to everyone who did subscribe during the 10 days beforehand. Nerida's panelling for us today and she's pointing to the screen. Oh, yes. Hi. Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> Good morning, Kevin Boy. Oh, good morning. <laughs> Don't feel forgotten or anything. <laughs> I was sitting here with my little mute button on thinking, surely, surely it's going to be me next. <laughs> I'm here too. <laughs> we'll let you out of the cabin. We'll unlock the door. Come up on deck. Say hi. Um, are we still doing fish names this week? Yeah, we are. And and what um, what our listeners won't know is that the screen um, that, of course, um, you are joining us well through through Skype is also the screen where we see the names of subscribers who come in uh, live as as they come in. So Nerida was pointing at the screen. I thought she was telling me that there were some subscribers, but it was actually about you. So welcome, Cap. No, not at all. Welcome, Cap. By no Boy. means. Hey, I'm going to go. What was that? Sorry. I was going to say, it, I, I did learn a fit last week with uh, calling uh, people's names because uh, next time I'm online bullying someone, instead of fish face and trout lips, it makes me sound so uneducated. I've got a whole list of names to call people now. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Some of them even complimentary. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm going to go through the run uh, the, the lineup of the show today and um, then I'm just going to read a few names from people who subscribed um, at the end of our program last week. Um, so, yeah, shortly, Cabin Boy, you're going to be telling us all that fibreglass. 
Oh, you've gone on mute all of we a sudden. We are going to oh, be there talking we go. about gotcha. fiberglass. Um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about fiberglass because of the majority of both. Well, let's not get into it too soon, hey? Okay. Yeah. Hey, I but, can. Um, yeah, I can see. There's a lot to talk about about fiberglass boats. Nerida's has turned the screen around. Is that a trombone or something behind you? Uh, there'll be trumpets. I'm in my son's bedroom. All oh, right. Are you going to play? I, I can't play ice, no, but um, and I don't think I'd get him out either, so no. <laughs> I've got to get him up early Sunday mornings just so I can take over his room because he's got this flash computer and uh, for gaming apparently. <laughs> so uh, I call it the radio room. Get out of my radio room now. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so we'll talk about fiberglass in a moment. Um, we are also then going to be crossing to a very special guest. You've lined up, Dr. Beach. It's, it's all very nautical today. It is very nautical. Um, we're we're going to think about fouling. Biofouling with John Lewis from um, Biofouling Management Services. Cabin Boy, a couple of weeks ago, you were talking about biofouling underneath um, ships' hulls. Very, very illuminating um, piece that you gave us. And John was listening up in Castlemaine and kept wanting to put his hand up as he was listening to the radio mm-hmm. on demand, but couldn't, of course. So he's, um, he's forced his way onto the program. No, we've, we've welcomed him with open arms. John is wonderful. And he's gonna, we're going to go through that again and expand on a little bit. Bit more of the history, some of the organisms that are coming in. Look at marine pests. It's going to be a heap of fun with John Lewis from from nine thirty talking all things biofouling. That is stuff growing on your ship's hull. Excellent and anti-fouling as well. And anti-fouling, how to get rid of that? Um, the toxic things we've used in the past, the potentially less toxic things yeah. that we can use into the future. Because it's been quite a, an interesting developmental story of anti-fouling products and how they've changed over the years, and some great work done led out of the um, the lab uh, led by Peter Steinberg in the University of New South Wales. And this was quite some years ago. I don't know what's happened sort of since since then, 20-odd years ago. So, yeah, looking forward to finding out more about that. John will be able to bring us up to speed. Brilliant. And, um, oh, Nerida, I think you've turned my mic off. Nerida's cleaning the desk. Oh, there sorry, we go. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Nerida's, Nerida's here with the spray. So, so, de-COVID everything. <laughs> the, the COVID clean. Anti-failing everything. Yeah, yeah, anti-failing yeah, anti-failing right. the, yeah. Yeah, the panel. It, nice. <laughs> um, we've got a whole bunch of news that, are, that has been coming in over the last two weeks of Radiothon, uh, including um, oh, a proposed industrial port in Exmouth, um, some co- concerns raised about the risks to humpback whales' um, mothers and their calves. We're actually going to follow this one up next week, but um, I thought I'd just mention that one today. Um, some new research about the extent of global sea level rise, the prediction by the end of this century, some stuff about uh, actually one that's coming from one of our listeners and Triple R subscribers, Harm Ellens, about the latest red list update from the IUCN, including better news for tuna, which is good uh, in terms of, you know, looking at potential extinction, but now not so. Yep, yep, good news, very good. And some, uh, and, and also some good news about um, the positive impact that citizen, sciences, citizen scientists are having on restoring endangered seagrass in uh, Port Stephens in New South Wales. Cool. Hey, let's do some weather. Let's do some weather. <laughs> yeah. let's uh, 9 to 15 degrees today. Um, what's the Sunday age telling me? Dry and mostly sunny morning, becoming cloudy, and then a high chance of showers in the afternoon and evening. Chance of a thunderstorm. There you go, Bron. Could be a bit wet later on. Uh, it's going to be the winds are going to be west, twenty to thirty kilometres per hour, becoming light in the evening. Tomorrow we're looking at a shower or two, fifteen degrees. Uh, same for Tuesday, fifteen degrees, partly cloudy. Uh, Wednesday, fifteen degrees. So it's, it's it's cool. It's not as warm as it has been, but it will be warming up towards the end of the week with twenty two degrees on Friday. 
and not a lot of rain on the horizon, maybe just a couple of sprinkles during the week, Bron. If you happen to be heading out on the water, if you're lucky enough to have that within your 5K zone, then you'll be wanting to know what's happening with the tides. At Point Lonsdale, it is going to be a low tide. Well, in right now, seven minutes past nine, or three minutes ago, it was high tide at Lonsdale. And that was a... No, no, sorry. What am I, my God, it's a low tide at Lonsdale. Thanks. Yeah, yeah thanks. Long-winded. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> we got there. Um, we don't have an Antarctica weather report from Cliff. It hasn't come through today. So, Cliff, hope you're okay. And maybe maybe their uh, internet's down. Could be that. Could be. Yeah, yeah. It could, could be a solar winds or something. Yeah. Hey, if we get a... Uh, if we get uh, a weather update from Cliff in the next um, 50 minutes or so. We'll bring it to you. A couple of things I wanted to mention and um, then we might play a track. Um, the Victorian Nature Festival kicks off. In fact, it kicked off yesterday and it's two weeks of online uh, activities that you can, you know, get involved yep, in. Yep. Um, really, really good stuff. We'll put a link to it on our Facebook page. I wanted to mention a couple of um, marine-related ones that are coming up over the next week, and I'll do the same for next week's activities. So on today, Discover Discovery Bay and the Glenelg Estuary with Glenelg Hopkins CMA. You can also learn about cultural burns with Wadawurrung traditional owners and Glenelg Hopkins CMA. So that's happening today. Um, uh, then on Tuesday, this one's pretty exciting, the Wilson's Prom Sanctuary Concept with Dr Mark Norman Parks Victoria's chief conservation scientist from uh, from two till three on Tuesday. Our Mark Norman. Yeah. Our Norm. I'm going to. When's that? Bro? That Wednesday. one's on Tuesday. Oh, Tuesday. Right Tuesday from two till three. Um, then on Wednesday, discover Phillip Island's educational resources for young rangers, and there's also a guided tour of Victoria's marine protected areas. It's a webinar from five till six, so it's all free. You can just you know get involved. What's the link? Yeah, uh, put it on our Facebook page because I haven't written it down in front of me. But if you if you look up Victoria's Nature Festival or Victorian Nature Festival, it'll be pretty easy to find. Um, but we will put a link to that on our Facebook page. Um, and a few names I want to read out. Um, so these were people who subscribed towards the end of our program last week. Nick Woods from Balnaring. I know Nick. Hello, Nick. Uh, lovely to hear from you. Dr. Beach, would you like to apply a fish name? Well, Nick should be. They have Nick Cave Dolls. <laughs> Chula Pisidian. <laughs> nice. Uh, Tim Natoli from Montmorency. He's going to be a things to do today, thick-lipped wrath. Beautiful. And uh, Catherine and Peter Niche Henschel, who always subscribe um, during Marinara. Catherine um, messaged me during the week, said she got her skates on and subscribed during Vital Bits and things were very, very efficient. And um, and so the blokes that you can trust read out their name last week. And a donation of $15. Thank you very much. And for that, you can be a Sunrise Serenity serrated hingeback shrimp. And Sunrise Serenity is on Sundays from 4 to 6 a.m. Beautiful. Uh Last one from last week. It might have even been the week before. Joanna Cam from Meetung. Oh, nice, Joanna. Don't you live in a beautiful part of the world? Um, subscribing to Marinara. Your station in isolation, Yellowfin Tuna. Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Beach. And um, Cabin Boy, you've got some names there as well. Um, and here are some subscribers. I'm putting you on the spot. Have you got your names right. in front of you? Yep, ready nice. to go. Awesome. Um, these people have just subscribed in the last five minutes. So James, Fantastic. Sarah, Tom and Elodie Gray from Thornbury, uh, new subscribers to Far and Wide, and they've sent a message. So many great shows, but Far and Wide have to be the favourite. I love it too. It, it signals the end of my working week. I love listening to it. Um, great songs, great host, great guests. Um, one request, Steve, um, can you please use your powers of persuasion to get Baxter Jury to tour here? Nice one. 
<laughs> All right. Anyone to two here. Yeah, anyone to two here, exactly, Nerida. Okay, who, who, who well, are we giving to them? Well, they can be a Nerida's Digest nodular periwinkle. <laughs> a Nerida's Digest nodular periwinkle just for you, Nerida. Thanks. Cool. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Morning, Cabin Boy, again. <laughs> That's kind of uh, spooky. You look at the camera and it's like, oh, my God, she's looking at me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, do you want to learn about fiberglass boats? I do. Yeah. Well, probably 60, 70 years ago, if you wanted to actually get a boat, you would have had to get a bespoke wooden boat made by craftsmen. Um, Quite difficult to do and it wasn't really easy. So... Mainly wooden boats. If you wanted a really big boat, maybe you could have got it made out of steel. But if you go down to any of the marinas today and cast your eye across, they're all white fiberglass boats, mainly production boats. So they've been made in a factory, mass produced and all that. But why have we gone fiberglass? Well, fiberglass boats were probably round in the 1930s in various ways. But it wasn't until the 50s where they actually got the process down of the actual fiberglass matting, which is actually glass fibers. They make that by shooting a uh, compressed air through a um, through glass as it goes through, and it makes those little fibers, and they get them all woven together, and then it gets glued together with glues or epoxies. So they kind of – it was quite a few years to develop the epoxy to hold it together. And it wasn't until really the 1950s that they started mass-producing the uh, fiberglass boats – And because the epoxy was right and the glass fibers were right. And that kind of opened up the whole market for home-built boats uh, and for someone to start up a company and start making boats too. So in the 1960s, the marine market was the largest consumer of GRP, which is glass-reinforced plastic. So, um, but they don't go away. I was going to ask about this, the, the, the timing of it in the 1950s um, coinciding with the rise of plastics um, development and production. There's obviously no coincidence there. I think it is because of the, uh, the glues that they were using. So it's a lot of oil-based or kind of petroleum-based glues, I think, too. And, you know, when you think back, we had Bakelite. And that was kind of before, you know, fiberglass. And once fiberglass came along and other extruded plastics, Bakelite was no longer used. But the original boats back in the 50s and 60s, they were solid fiberglass. So they were very heavy. So because the fiberglass is good because it doesn't corrode. Um, it's quite light. You can mold it into any way. Um, but the original boats were very, very heavy because they were solid fiberglass. Um they kind of developed where they would put what's called a balsa core in it. So the middle of the fiberglass would be two layers of fiberglass with a balsa core or wood core in the middle. So that kind of got them a little bit lighter. But the downfall from that, if you ever got water in between the fiberglass, it would rot out that balsa core and you'd still have a few troubles there. Um, the main trouble with bol- um, fiberglass now is um, osmosis and that's water getting under the layer of the, the the top coat and then it just makes little bubbles but they can fix that up and really it it lasts forever and that's going to be a major problem in the future because when you look at all those boats probably only about 30 percent of them are used regularly probably another 30 percent are absolutely ready for the tip but what do we do with them? So it doesn't go away, fiberglass. Same with surfboards too, I'm thinking with fiberglass. Yeah, 
Exactly, with the polystyrene in the middle too. So it's going to be a big. We're going to have a big problem in the future of getting rid of um, fiberglass. So I don't think anyone's come up with a good way of doing it yet. Makes me think of skateboards as well. Well, do you know what? My first ever thing, I reckon I made a fiberglass skateboard deck in the 1980s. Yeah, and that was my f- – it's horrid stuff to work with. It sure really. is. I, no, know, I'm going to go back a bit earlier too, Cabin Boy. 1975 through Tracks Magazine. <laughs> I, I mail-ordered a, um, a Bane, B-H-A-N-E, skateboard, which was a fiberglass deck. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, I should have a bit of a kickback on the back. So you didn't have like raised bits on the backside of skateboards. And so I built one out of fiberglass. And that's where I first learned how toxic and how smelly fiberglass was. I kind of liked it. I think I got a bit high (laughs) as a 15-year-old. But it was was pretty interesting stuff to work with. It made my skateboard work a lot better. And then all of a sudden I saw people with kickbacks. I should have patented that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Head of your time. Head of your time. I've still got that hanging in the garage. Uh, still, you'd still have the uh, fiberglass splinters somewhere in your skin too, I reckon. Yeah, probably. They're nasty, aren't they, fiberglass splinters? Oh, yeah. But saying that about skateboards, you notice it's turned full circle. They're all wooden decks now. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, can't get away from the wooden deck. Yep. So, if you went to have a look at a marina, Brett, mm-hmm. what percentage of boats in the marina are fiberglass? Would you? Would it be 100? Um, It would be... Close to, depending, if you go down to, you know, to Hobart, there's yeah, there's probably 60 fiberglass, 40 timber in certain marinas. In the big yacht clubs that mainly race, they'll all be fiberglass, yeah. really, you know, unless they've got that traditional section of the marina and all that. But, uh, well, nowadays they've moved on from fiberglass, so you can, they've gone back to the bespoke kind of boats with carbon fiber just again that's another form really but that's the next stage really so that's lighter stronger and than anything from fiberglass so fiberglass is for the mass produced market really carbon fiber you mentioned we got no idea how to recycle how to reuse that either that's just well that's the thing and that's very expensive and with fiberglass you didn't quite need the skills that you do with other boat building with steel or timber hence why you've done your uh, little skateboard kickback um so a lot of backyarders did fiberglass too and it was easy to start up a company and it's interesting they make those boats in a mold so there's a male mold or a female mold so they get the shape of the hull and then they layer up the fiberglass in the uh the molds once it's set then they just break that out and there's your boat and then they just put the deck onto the boat and fit it out there's a a speak talk around making better surfboards we've had dr surf talk about this in the past i can't remember the details i should using alternatives to fiberglass things that can be recyclable is there any people work moving to that with boats um well not really because i think they're after the cheapest and and that there is you know there is quite a big movement with the wooden boats and still wooden boats are being made today and in fact we kind of had a bit of a turnaround because the i think it was the guggen brothers they developed the west system which was a a type of epoxy that they could use with plywood so it's not the traditional build of boats where you need to be really skillful. You can use your plywood and then they encase that in what's called the West System epoxy. And that's kind of similar to fiberglass, but with the plywood. So the wood's actually protected from the elements because of the epoxy skin on it. So kind of similar that way. And there's no, so if it, if it breaks, I mean, I guess there's no danger to fiberglass. If, like if it breaks, it's not like asbestos or anything like that. I know we've got those fibres in there which are nasty, but if they're bound together with the epoxy and you've got a broken bit of hull, it's not 
dangerous to inhale, is it, or is it? No, I suppose if there's that fine dust, I think it would be because that's glass. So if that's if you're inhaling that really, especially if you're sanding it, I think that would be uh, a little bit toxic there. But it is easy to repair if you get a hole uh, a hole in your fiberglass hull. You know, you can repair it fairly easily. So that's the other thing. And it's it's not like a wooden boat where you can take a couple of planks off and fit. You'll have to cut it out and, you know, probably get an expert to fix that up, I'd recommend. Yeah, yeah. Brett, you were talking before about the permanence of fibreglass and how, you know, there's obviously a problem that's going to emerge um, as boats are retired. And what happens to boats that are retired at the moment? Do they just all end up in landfill? Yeah, I think they do. They uh, they get stripped of all their metals and all the um, stuff they can um, recycle, and then the holes just get crushed and put into landfill. So, and when you look around, there's quite a few holes that really need to be crushed out there because they're just sitting there doing nothing. And what are the recycling options? Is there anything at the moment? Like recycling plastics has evolved a fair bit in the last sort of at least the last ten years or so. Is there any potential for this? Do you think? I, I think so. I think they can crush it and mulch it down and get another fiberglass product out of it. But I think it's the cost at the moment versus the value. So it's easier just to throw, crush it and put it in landfill. Cool. Mm, yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> Let's dig a hole. Did you detect did, the sarcasm did, did in my voice? Yes, we did, Bron. <laughs> That's a high note to leave on, isn't it? Like, the, the, yeah, the, board, the board's lighting up with abuse for Bron Burton. <laughs> no, no, there was very, in, um, yes, intended sarcasm. Sense there. of irony. Um, Yes, indeed. Uh, anything else, Captain Boy, or are we done with our fiberglass fun facts? I reckon we're done with fiberglass. As I said, uh, I'm a wooden boat person, so, uh, you know, you kind of look down on those fiberglass people. Uh, well, another off thing from fiberglass <laughs> oh was the... Um, from your heart. Oh, should horse. I not go on? <laughs> <laughs> no, go is, on. Uh, an interesting boat is the ferro-cement boat. It's made out of cement. Yeah, steel really? frame. And they put... Yeah, it's made out of cement. So there are cement boats out there floating around. How does that work? Do they just embed lots of bubbles in the cement? I think to make it a bit lighter, they don't put the scoria in there, the uh, crushed rock. I think they put uh, polystyrene balls in to kind of bind it together. So they last forever, but again, they're not – you can't insure them because no insurance company will touch a ferro-cement boat, really. But uh, it's just an interesting thing, a a concrete boat. (laughs) What do they use them for? As pleasure craft? Yeah, yeah, quite a few yachts. There were quite a few old boats, oh, back in the 30s or the 40s, made in England too, or the barges made out of ferro-cement. So basically it's just the, the, you know, the Rio wire. They make the hull and then they spray it and then just smooth it over. And you would never know that it's made out of concrete. I saw one get, I saw one being made. It was just near Ripponlea Station. I used to get the train, yeah. the Sandringham Line train, and there'd be one being built we watched it for years going to school in the backyard of someone's in, in, house in someone's backyard in Ripon oh, Lee yeah. and it was we're thinking oh, this thing's concrete how's it going to work and then we would ask the school teachers Archimedes Archimedes beach doesn't matter how much it weighs until it hits the bottom of the sea and there yeah you lost forever then <laughs> hey thanks Kevin boy oh fantastic thanks for that looking forward to the uh, the anti-fouling yes yeah John Lewis is coming up after this Tune. Uh, no, not tune. But um, before we do that, I actually have a, a subscriber who's come in. And Cabin Boy, I'm hoping you might do the honours of applying uh, a special Radio Marinara sea creature name um, yes, from your list. And um, 
you'll understand why I'm asking you in a minute because I've been having a look at the lists that we have. So this is uh, Zlatko uh, Sajnovic, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly, uh, Zlatko, uh, from Williamstown, renewing to Einstein a go-go with a $15 donation. Thank you so much, saying love the show. I don't know whether Zlatko means us or Einstein. <laughs> Let's take it as us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's probably Einstein, but, you know, we don't mind stealing stuff from Dr Shane and his crew. Um, do you have a, a name in your list, uh, Cabin Boy, that is from Einstein and Go-Go? Einstein and Go-Go, I do somewhere. He can be Dr Linden, a little shore crab from Einstein and Go-Go. Beautiful. Thanks, Cabin Boy. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. That was, um, yeah, that was Rob Snarsky. And playing a very beautiful track that um, a subscriber requested last week. Yeah, it was uh, Temperatures Rising from Wounded Bird from album in 2014. A few weeks ago, Cabin Boy was on the... Uh, and we've got Cabin Boy with us today talking about biofouling organisms that grow on the bottom of hulls of, um, of ships and all sorts of things, pylons. And then we had a, just a lovely email came in from a listener. So he was listening in Castlemaine, um, wanted to put his hand up and answer all these questions that we had. And this is John Lewis from Biofouling Management Services. And, John, we've decided to get you on the line so you can clear up any questions that we had. How are you going? I'm very well, Dr Beach. Yes, it's a lovely day up here in Tasmania, blue sky. It's just unfortunate I'm so far from the sea. <laughs> it is unfortunate. It would be wonderful to have you here in the um, in the studio with us. John, you've... you've, you've have this wonderful email address, which is jlewis at biofoulingmanagementservices.com.au. Not as it only one of the longest email addresses I've seen. It's very, it illuminates us as to what you're doing now, biofouling <laughs> management services. Um, first of all, before we get into that and what you do, let's go back a little bit and remind the listeners about what biofouling is. And we've got Cabin Boy with us as well um, out there in Skyplan, so we can all have this nice conversation about that. But, John, I'm going to let you kick it off with... Just reminding listeners, yeah, what biofouling is. Okay. Um, well, um, unlike the land, when you're in the sea, um, it's full of things that want to find somewhere to live. So um, if you put anything in the water, um, things will try and grow on it. So be it a living organism or a boat or a, a pier piling, you put it in the water, um, you've immediately things, got things looking for a home. Now, a lot of those things are good. Essentially, you know, a coral reef or a, a natural reef is biofouled by kelps, etc. But when we don't want this growth somewhere, it gets the, it gets the name fouling because it has an adverse effect. Um, so, you know, traditionally, the classic organisms are the barnacles, of course, which Cabin Boyd know all about. Um, I don't think he's been yes. keel-hauled. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> So that, that's it. You know, man's trying to stop, or mariners are trying to stop things growing on their boats. And that reminds us, you mentioned the barnacles on, on ships' hulls. So biofouling drags down a ship's passage through the water, it you know, causes increased fuel and all of that. And keel hauling, where they drag people under the hull, that was that they scraped off their back and their skin on the barnacles, mm. didn't they, which was underneath. Oh, oh, we don't, absolutely. That's okay. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice, n- nice story for the morning. <laughs> Good morning, kids. Good <laughs> morning, kids. Yeah, yeah. So don't go kill them. Good morning, Bron. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, as as Dr. Beach was talking about the the problem with barnacles growing on the the you know the hulls of boats, 
in terms of affecting their drag and how they travel through the water, but I guess in the worst case scenario, potentially causing leakages. Yeah, um, they're fairly resistant. Um, I mean, the biggest issue today is actually the effect on flowing the ships. So if you increase the hull friction, you have to burn more fuel. And, of course, the I think you were talking a few weeks ago about the dirty fuel that ships use. Um, But it creates bigger CO2 emissions. And if you rank shipping, because we have so many ships, if you rank shipping against countries, at one stage they were the fourth biggest emitter of CO2. So there's a lot of work going on the moment to try and improve the performance of ships um, to reduce their emissions. John, we were talking um, the other week about copper sheathing on boats um, and we had a conversation during the week prepping for the show, as we do, we do a deep amount of research before we actually go on air. (laughs) (laughs) And you were telling me an interesting story, but let's go back through that. So moving from copper, hulls and then through to iron. A very interesting story there. Okay, yeah, well, uh, I mean, people trying to stop growth goes back to the, you know, the Greeks, they used to buy tar and pitch, but one of the biggest breakthroughs was in the mid-18th um, century when they decided that, you know, putting copper sheet on their wooden ships would actually um, stop the growth. And it's actually, the story goes that in the Battle of Trafalgar, the, the, the Royal Navy actually won because of their copper sheeting and the fact that the Spanish Armada, um, they were heavily fouled and lost the manoeuvrability, so the um, Royal Navy got on top of them. But, yeah, Hmm. copper sheeting was used through until the introduction of iron ships, and so we're talking about the mid-19th century now. But what happens when you put copper on iron, and uh, Cabin Boy mentioned corrosion before, well, copper causes the iron to corrode. And it was actually almost the end of iron ships because they couldn't use copper. They didn't have anything else. And that's when the first copper-based anti-fouling paints were developed in the late, uh, late 19th century. So now we get into the, into the anti-fouling paints. That's the next step and, and, and the toxicity of them. So let's walk through that for a bit. Yeah, okay. Well, by nature, to stop things growing, uh, I mean, I've often given talks about, you know, this is where biology and chemistry collide because you've got to have something that's toxic but not too toxic. And copper, right through until uh, there's a lot of work in the Second World War because these paints would only last four or five months um, before they had to go into dry dock. And the type of paints they had, they had to blast them off completely. You, you couldn't overcoat a paint. And you went right through to the 60s when um, the paints would still be lucky to last 12 months. And so they tried everything. I mean, they, they were using arsenic, they were using mercury. Um, even until comparatively recently, people were adding DDT to paints. Um, and what, what happened, what, one of the reasons was that to be effective, the paint has to continuously, continuously release the biocide. I mean, um, Cabin Boy would know if you get one breach in the paint, a barnacle will settle on it. So the paints have no throwing power because the copper loses toxicity very quickly um, within microns to the surface. Yeah. And it wasn't, yeah, um, so copper became the mainstay. They got rid of arsenic and mercury, and then there was the wonderful discovery of things called tributyl tins in the 60s, which is a story in itself. 
Cabin boy? I was going to say, you notice with the breach too, like you'll have your anti-foul on your the bottom of your boat and just above the waterline where there's no anti-foul, give it about oh, a month and there'll be growth all along that waterline where the anti-fouling is it. Yeah, absolutely, cabin boy. And uh, another thing is that often where the, even if the anti-fouling paints above the water, the chemical reactions that happen with the air and the salt and mm. everything can actually turn the copper into an insoluble form that has no toxic effect. Uh, Nerida here, I just had a quick question about the it being a biocide yep. and anything trying to um, cling to it immediately. So... It's basically killing off these things as well. It's killing off the barnacles. It's not preventing well, them from. It's not preventing yeah. them from connecting. It's, it's killing them. Yeah, it, it's actually at the point of settlement. So it actually deters or stops the larvae actually attached, attaching. A lot of things once they've attached, they're right. You know, barnacles generally have a, a, a hard base to the shell which protects them from anything underneath. And you have some organisms, some organisms actually like a bit of copper. Um, some of the white tube worms actually, if you've got a little bit of copper, and Cabin Boy might have noticed this, a propeller, for instance, is a copper alloy with a little bit of copper. And mm -hmm. often you'll get those completely covered with white worm. And yes. that's because they actually, they're attracted to a small amount of copper. Um, so it's a case that, and when a paint starts to lose its effect and the copper level drops, you start to get the, um, the, the, the ready brown bryozoans, the um, water sapora, and they can call it tolerate, and then things grow on top of them, and it, it just takes off. So there it is. there's not much throwing power, and this is what's quite good about copper, is that it binds so... The, the actual toxic bit is the free copper ion just as it dissolves. And that binds very quickly to um, organics and, and the toxicity is gone. But even copper doesn't work against everything. So most paints have an additional iodide in there. And these have been heavily regulated. So there's only six approved for use in Australia. And of the 50 or so products that are approved by the APVMA. John, it's Bron. I just wanted to ask you about something you said earlier about the fact that it had to be toxic and just picking up on Nerida's question about um, about that nature of deterrence. So when you're talking about, you know, a barnacle, little larva that's floating around in the water and wants to settle and, and basically be there forever as a as a, a, an adult stage barnacle. Um, but uh, if, it, if it's deterred, does it necessarily need to be toxic in order to have that deterring effect? In, this is sort of some of, some of the mechanisms that people aren't fully sure of. Um, uh, the Rick Weatherby at Melbourne University used to talk about the attachment of diatoms and the effect there. He used to call it the first kiss. Is actually the point when a, a microscopic alga touches the surface. And that seems to be the case with the... the um, the animal larvae um, and it's it's that first point of attachment that I don't think we know whether it actually kills the larvae I mean people do toxicity tests in labs and yes it knocks off the larvae but in the sea it's hard to know whether it is a deterrent or not now some of the um, new um, there are non-toxic coatings around, generally based on silicons, which a barnacle larvae, you probably know, gets a chance to sink, so it attaches, and if it doesn't like the surface, it'll 
um, buzz off somewhere else. And with the silicons, it doesn't like the feel of the surface, but it heads off to find something else. But uh, with with the anti-fouling, no one really does the mechanism. And yes, when they're screening them, it is an actual toxicity test that they use. I wanted to ask you, I mentioned earlier in the program about the um, the potential for eco-friendly anti-fouance. Yeah. And we were talking about the research that was being done from the Steinberg Lab at the University yeah. of New South Wales. This was 20-odd years ago. Um, right. And what they were doing was looking at the potential for using naturally produced um, secondary metabolites from various yeah. different species of algae, and particularly red algae. What's happened yeah. with that? research because it was looking really promising about 20 years ago is it developed into a commercial product um not in the where they thought it would go so what actually happened with that it was an extract from the um the red alga uh, delicia that grew quite abundantly around sydney and they en- ended up identifying the product which was a, a furanone but it interfered with actually the bacterial settlement and what the bacterial communication and uh, there's a lot of species who actually require the bacteria or the slime of the diatoms to be there first before they can actually settle. So the idea was that if you get it at the first step, that would do the job. Now, the problem is getting that length of life. You know, I mentioned that you know, six months was you're lucky to get that life. But with the newer coatings, you can get now they're talking about seven and a half years. And it's a huge jump. So to get something that will stay in a paint for that long, and, of course, a red alga can constantly metabolise new product. So it, it never got through that process of lasting a long period of time, and they went off applying that to medical implants and things in the body where there was a problem with bacterial infection. Mm. The other problem with the so-called natural products is that they generally have some sort of toxic effect as well. So they have to go through the full evaluation to ensure they're safe. Now, with a new biocide, you're looking at probably $500,000 to get all the testing done to ensure that it's okay. You know, progressively, some of these secondary biocides have been banned because they've found in the end that they are toxic. And there's one at the moment in the International Maritime Organisation that's going to be banned. Now, fortunately, in Australia, that never got approved in the first place. So our processes were sound enough um, to prevent that get, that one getting onto the market. John, we were talking about um, on the phone earlier on about some of the, the roles that you play um, being a biofouling expert and you were mentioning <laughs> them. Uh, when we had like a, like an oil rig in, in Port Phillip Bay, was it? And some of the stories around that and the, the biofouling <laughs> organisms there. That was, that was fascinating. I'd like you to share that with the listeners, if you may. Yeah. Well, a lot of work I do, there's a lot of concern about invasive marine species in Australia. And although ballast water was considered initially the major issue, then the attention went to biofouling because there was a big study in Port Phillip Bay and found that, you know, we had 160 known introduced species and the majority had been introduced as biofouling. So what actually happened in this case, I do assessments and of vessels to just ensure that they haven't got anything nasty. Now, there was an oil rig that came into Port Phillip Bay um, at the start of uh, last year, and many of the listeners have probably saw it sitting off Point Cook because it sat there for around about 10 months. Now, this one didn't have any anti-fouling on because it wasn't designed to sit around in inshore water. It just had an anti-corrosive coating. Now, 
there was a dispute with the companies and it sat for 10 months and then they decided, OK, they sorted out things, we're going to lift it out, up and take it out to the old way base. And, well, in the time that it sat there, it had come in on a heavy, what, a heavy lift vessel, came in dry, they sat it there. We went out and looked. And when you're looking at a lot of these things, Ron would know that the work that the Keogh Lab and Emma Johnson did when she was in Melbourne putting panels out, well, to... Well, the oil rig was the biggest settlement panel I've ever seen huh. for introduced species. <laughs> um, because they just, first stage, you know, these are opportunistic. So it ended up covered with, you know, vase tuna cakes and the, um, the introduced, uh, uh, some of the other ascidians. It had the European sandworm on it. It had Japanese kelp on it. But it had probably 10 million North Pacific sea stars just oh. all over it. Wow. From from three or four millimetres across to full mature ones. And the only native things were the secondary ones. So you're starting to get seahorses, you're starting to get um, spider crabs, um, a seal colony is established there. And it, it would, would have been, I actually thought, you know, leave it there and we've got a great natural reef because all the native things are now starting to colonise and we're starting to get native acidians. So the concern was for me towing this thing out to the Otway Basin and leaving behind a meteoric shower of Pacific sea stars that <laughs> um, past Ocean Grove. But, uh, so, yeah, we had divers out there for three weeks every day, two Cle- teams in the water cleaning it off. Cleaning it off. I know Cam Boy's got a story, a, a question for you too. I was going to say, John, as an end user, like it, it does come down to cost, and as you pointed out, a new kind of anti-fowl costs thousands and yep. thousands of dollars too. Yep. And there is a silicon one that you put on your propeller because anti-fowl yep. won't stay on it because it's constantly yep. moving. But that is, I mean, anti-fowl at the moment is quite expensive, but that's 10 times the amount with the, the yep. silicon thing too. So it, it does also come down to the end cost for the end user too, doesn't that's it? Right. So you've got to be careful yep. that way. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the the more the better the paint, the more expensive it is. So even if you're True. going to your local yacht chandler, um, the cheaper ones are probably the nastiest at the moment. Um, a lot of Australian products for that lo- low end of the market have a product called a biocide called Diuron, and Diuron's been banned in New Zealand. It's been banned in many other countries of the world. But the biggest use of Diuron in Australia is on cane fields. And so when they, the APV and they set Diron, they said, oh, the amount in anti-fouling paints is insignificant compared to what goes in from cane fields. So it'll be so fine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fine. So it's essentially, you know, the, the more you can expend, spend on a paint, the safer it is and the better it will perform. But it's understanding that, you know, um, boat owners tend to be screwed by paint manufacturers anyway. Yeah, John, <laughs> on the note, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up, Joel. We've just got a yeah, few no, minutes left. Fine. We've got lots of subscribers to thank. But thank you very much, John Lewis from no, um, Biofiling, Biofiling Management Services, Management. But, all, but all sorts of wonderful things. And, John, uh, when we can, love to get you into the, into the studio so we can talk no about problem. these fascinating topics at length. Right, and we can start talking about marine pests. <laughs> and marine pests, that's right, and red algal taxonomy. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. My my true love. Your true love from the plasticine. See you, John. Thanks for coming on to Radio Marinara. Thanks very much. Uh, Fantastic, John. That was John Lewis from um, Biofouling Management Services, his own little company up in Castlemaine where he does an enormous amount of work on biofouling organisms. I reckon we can't hear too much about biofouling and anti-fouling. What do you reckon, Brett? 
well, cowboy, sorry. It, it's a, it just goes on. And, and as you said, the invasive species too. You don't think that if you move your boat from one place to another, you're actually taking species from that area and putting them in the other area. So, yeah, it's a major, uh, a major subject. Hi, I'm David Suzuki, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR 102.7 FM. Yes, you are indeed. Now, we've got a couple of, uh, of people who've reached out to us via subscription, but also, Dr. Beach, very exciting here, um, the, the subscriber who requested Temperatures Rising by Rob Snarsky has let us know. So, uh, Mark O'Carroll, um, who subscribed and requested Temperatures Rising, uh, he said he requested to be, and we missed this, so um, thanks for letting us know, Mark, a, uh, a Christos Cholkis Cherubin, which yeah. is an Australian <laughs> upper estuary tropical prawn. Oh, nice one. Nice. Cute. Cute. Thanks, Mark, and thanks for solving that. Uh, that <laughs> a Christos Cholkis is on superfluity. Indeed, he is. Uh, now, two more people have subscribed, so both Cabin Boy and Dr Beach, I'll, uh, I'll ask you to give these good people a marinara name. Sally Curran from Brunswick is renewing to Twang and uh, a massive donation of $215. Thank you, Sally, so wow. very much. I'm sure Denise will be ecstatic to hear your subscription. Uh, Dr Beach. Uh, so you're going to be an OB oblong keyhole limpet and an OB is, of course, an outside broadcast. Nice. Uh, thank you, Sally. And uh, Huxley Furniture, a business subscription from Malmesbury, Dr. Beach. Malmesbury. Oh. Uh, a business subscription and a donation. Um, thank you so much uh, to uh, uh, Einstein and Gogo. And oh, another one, Einstein and Gogo. Cabin Boy. Have you got well, another Einstein and Gogo name there? Be a Dr. Gracie Great Sea Pen from Einstein and Gogo. Excellent. Thank you very much to both of those subscribers. If you want to um, quickly subscribe, we'll give you another fish name. We've got a couple of minutes left of the program, but we'll keep doing this all the way through um, to the end of Radiothon on 6th of October. I wanted to quickly mention this one um, because it came through from Harm Ellens, who is a Triple R subscriber and a Marinara listener, who sent us this bit of news, which is really cool. I love this, Dr. Beach and Cabin Boy, the fact that our subscribers and listeners reach out to us and let us know about bits of information otherwise we wouldn't know about. I, 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 it just kind of makes me feel... It's this warm, fuzzy feeling inside. It's beautiful to know that there are people out there listening. That's it. This, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, duh. But, but every time they come back to us, it's like, oh, isn't that great? Look, it, it really ties in with the theme of It's Your Station. Yeah, um, so anyway, look, just super quickly, uh, good news for the ocean as tuna species bounce back from the brink of extinction. Um, so this is really good. This has uh, come through from Harm saying uh, there's good news for tuna. You're used to seeing in supermarkets like Atlantic and Southern Bluefin. These two other species are showing signs of recovery from overfishing because there was real concern that they might be sort of heading towards extinction. So this has come through from the International Union for Conservation of Nature, also known as the IUCN. You might have seen that abbreviation in various different places. Um, there are still uh, a huge number of species facing threat of extinction, but there's certainly signs of recovery for some. So there you go. Good to, good to see some good news. I'll put a link to that on our Facebook page so you can read some more about it for yourselves if you'd like to see. Certainly is to see some good news, Bron. Um, efforts that have gone into conservation. Yep, tuna, just one example, I think, but there's, yeah, got to be more out there. The efforts are all worth it. Yeah. Hey, that brings us to the end of our program. Hey, thank you, Nerida, very much for panelling, keeping us on our toes. Thank you, Dr Beach. That's a pleasure. Thank you, Cabin Boy. It's a pleasure. Oh, we got two more quick subscribers. Catherine Back from Coburg. Um, uh, 
go, Dr. Beach? Uh, you are a stay curious, keep the experiment alive, cream keyhole limpet. Beautiful. And Tina Hawes from Greenvale, who is also new, saying Triple R is one of my favourite things about Melbourne. I especially love Radio Marinara and Breakfasters. Thank you, Tina. Cabin Boy. Cheers. She is a Steve Cross shovel nose Ray from Beat Orgy. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Cross, love that show. Great show yesterday. All right, um, thanks to, uh, well, we had one guest today who was John Lewis. So thanks, John. Yeah, thanks very much, John, out Yay. there in Castleman. And, and big shout out to that person who subscribed from Malmesbury. Maybe you've seen me broadcasting from outside the Malmesbury Bakery <laughs> last year in lockdown. I'm stuck in my little blue car. People look at me thinking, what's he doing? <laughs> hey, uh, on next week's program, Cade will be with us as well as Neil Blake. We will be speaking with Paul. Paul Gamblin from the Australian Marine Conservation Society about this proposal for uh, Gascoigne Gateway Industrial Port and the the risks about um, the impact of that on humpback whales, mothers and calves. We're hoping to catch up with Joe Richards from Parks Victoria as well about Flinders Pier and Neil Blake. So massive show. Hey, have a great Sunday. Stay tuned for therapy. Bye for now. Stay Triple R, Immaculate Reception. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.